This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up? Real MVPs, Ricky Whitmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. I need to change it up. I point once at you, once at them, and I'm back at you <laughs> for the third one. But welcome in to the Primetime Podcast here on MVP, Most Valuable Podcast. And this is where we talk about college football, college basketball. I'm not going to do what I did in our first take, Brandon. not going to ask you about all the other college sports. I know the answer. No, we're just going to look at college <laughs> football. We're just going to look at college basketball. But today we've got a jam-packed show for you guys. Going to have Matt on the line, one of our just very, I wanted to say valued patrons, but that's not the right word, our loving patron. We, the patrons, we can't do what we do each and every day without their support. Going to have him on to talk about Big Ten basketball. We're also going to be talking about Duke basketball, um, a little draft stock for the Big Three, a little Tyus Jones, how that's going to play in, and then I got a special um, Zion question for Brandon coming out of the mouth of Scottie Pippen. Don't worry, Brandon, it's a very easy question. Good, because you usually life. throw like a lot of like oh, no, thought... That, pr- type of questions at me <laughs> that will take a lot of time out no, no, no. it's this not one, just a, a quick boom type of th- answer this question will be very easy and might just be a yes or no answer with how easy it is and then we will end the show taking a look at romeo lankford's draft stock are we too low on him because some of the commenters are saying that in mocks and big boards that were a little bit low on Romeo Langford. So we're going to take a look at the Indiana Star today. But before we do, I'm going to throw out that Patreon segment. Make sure to check out patreon.com backslash Podcast If you want to be like Matt, go ahead and sign up. Patreon.com backslash Podcast. But Brandon, let's start with our first topic. And we're going to look at the Duke Blue Devils. And this is a topic, I will be completely honest, I didn't know where to start with it. So the the kind of meat and potatoes of this is Trey Jones. In the game against Syracuse, which Duke did lose, Trey Jones went out of the game after six minutes with an AC joint injury in his shoulder. That injury kept him out of the Virginia game where Duke barely escaped The Virginia Cavaliers gave Virginia their first loss of the year, winning 72-70. to I'm going to let you kind of decide where this discussion stands because when it comes to Trey Jones' injury, we can talk about how it affects the team, but Coach K, I keep trying to say his last name, I should just say Coach K. Coach K came out and said it's not going to be a long injury. He's not going to be out for a month or anything. He's like, I don't know if it'll be this game, being the Virginia game, or the next game, but he will be back sooner rather than later. I'm going to let you start. Where do you want to start this discussion when it comes to Duke and Tyus Jones and the Duke three? Trey Jones. Okay, go ahead. Did I say Tyus Jones? Yeah. Trey Jones. Trey Jones and the Duke three. I always throw his brother in there, and his brother is in the NBA. I'm going I'm to start it with Trey Jones because of the fact that this is something when we talked about a while back, uh, months ago now, mm-hmm. and we were saying – Will the Duke Blue Devils go undefeated? I said no. You said yes. I Mm -hmm. said no because while, yes, this is a very good Duke team, I still think even though they're not ranked at number one, they are the number one team in the country when they have their pieces in place. Now, one of those pieces is out, Trey Jones. Again, we don't know how long that is, what uh, separated shoulder, sprained shoulder, Mm -hmm. something. The AC Um, joint. uh, Something with the shoulder there, but... 
the number one thing right now with him and with him being gone is you've, you you do not have a true point guard out on the floor. Mm-hmm. You do not have your number one point guard, the guy who your offense runs through out on the floor. That's number one. So the guy who has the most confidence in bringing up the ball and moving the ball around and, and really controlling the offense, he's not on the floor. Number two, you have lost possibly your best defender uh, as well. Just and, and stats stats show that in the Syracuse game, which Duke did lose uh, last week, Syracuse had six points, five turnovers, and twelve possessions before Trey Jones left. Mm-hmm. It had eighty nine points and ten turnovers in seventy seven possessions when he wasn't on the floor. Now that's a small sample size. But still, it's a pretty accurate sample size of the way that he plays defense mm-hmm. when he's out there on the floor. He causes some chaos defensively and makes the other team struggle. When he's not there, he, I'm not saying that Duke does not play any defense, but I'm saying that they go down a level. They go down a rung on the ladder in terms of defense when Trey Jones isn't in the ball game. He brings an added energy pressure, all the words you want to use to describe a good defensive player, he's got that. The Virginia game was very close. They still won. Mm -hmm. They're lucky that they were able to still win. They ended up losing that game against Syracuse. Going to be a tough game. Syracuse is deep. You talk about defense. Syracuse has a very, very difficult defense. And what Duke tried to do is they tried to shoot the three, especially when Trey Jones was gone. Three. Three, three, three. I think they went nine of 43 from three. They weren't good. They mm-hmm. weren't good. And a lot of those a lot of those things, when it comes down to something like that, Zion, you you and I were, were doing the podcast last week, and I'm like, Zion's got 25. Zion's got 30. Mm-hmm. We were leaving. I go, Zion probably ended with 40. Yeah. He didn't, but mm-hmm. Zion may not have that game every night. Even with that game, they didn't win. Mm-hmm. That then well, I mean, kind of look that, at the I Virginia was, game. I was just going to say that kind of then goes oh. into the. It, so I kind of took it from Trey Jones to mm-hmm. the big three, but I'll, I'll now kind of hand it over to you for 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 your thoughts on that. But I think with Trey Jones gone for however long mm-hmm. he is gone, it's a big loss for them because he's not the scorer. We know that mm-hmm. they know that, but he is the one who helps to lead and give. <laughs> and feed the ball to the scores, and he is a huge presence on the defensive side. And the one thing I will <coughs> throw out there is, I'm at the Florida State game, not the Virginia game. Zion had a ridiculous game against um, Virginia, but Florida State, the one where it needed a Cam Reddish three, basically at the buzzer, to win that game, you had Zion only with 11 points. And yes, Tyus Jones did play that game. Um, Zion Trey. also or Trey Trey played that game. Played forty. Zion also Tyus also hasn't played for Duke in a little bit. Yeah, he hasn't played for a little bit. But I'm still going to call him Tyus. You're going to have to correct me every time. <laughs> but Trey Jones played forty in that game. Zion did leave that game early too, because um, I believe that was a game he got poked in the yeah. eye. He only played eleven minutes. Why he wasn't even in the game towards the end? Maybe that's also why he Ricky only had eleven points in that game. The thing I look at is, and this is kind of on both sides, you can do this for the rest of the season for Duke, but also the big three in their draft stock is, I wonder, and this might be a small sample size that we get this, does Tyus Jones 
helped the draft stock of R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish. And the reason why I say that is Zion, to me, his stock is solidified. I'm going to ask you a question about that later on. Like he's solidified, number one pick in the draft. There is no because we because we know nobody. everything that he can do, and he is so like at, the things that he was doing against Virginia are like the same things I've seen at the beginning of the year. Every time he does it, though, I go holy shit, and I show Dave, or holy crap, and I show whoever I'm with. He is a human highlight reel every single game that he is in. Like I showed you the one clip from the Virginia game. Where he cocks back the dunk, Virginia kid comes in to even foul him, makes contact with the arm, and that's not even enough. Zion still powers through it for the dunk to go to the line for the and one. The thing that I think with Tyus Jones, you're exactly correct. I would I would describe it as he's the glue to the big three. Because not just you hit on the defensive side, with me offensively, he's a true point guard, like you mm-hmm. said. And with a true point guard, he's going to dish out the assists and make sure the ball needs to go to where it needs to go to, especially when they're in the half court. Like, that's the thing about Duke. When they're in the full court, like the up-tempo transition game, then you don't need like you don't need um, Trey out there. All you need is Zion running it, RJ running it, Cam running it, whoever gets the rebound and goes with it. Usually it's going to be Zion or RJ. But when you get stuck in the half court and need to actually call a play or two, that's where Trey Jones becomes so vital because he can then, like, I'm not saying he's the number one, but he can be the guy to say, hey, I can fit in here where you need to. Okay, RJ, you're not going to run this play. This is one that's going to start with me and can get the ball where it needs to go and kind of help these three Dukies, the Reddish, Barrett, and Williamson all kind of coexist together. Speaking of Reddish, mm-hmm. how poorly has he played lately? I mean, I know he wasn't in the game against Syracuse, mm-hmm. but what a liability. He's <laughs> been on the floor scoring-wise. Mm-hmm. He's been crap. Mm-hmm. He's been garbage. It's been really pathetic. I mean, you look... I mean. And this is this just goes to show in terms of stats. Except from Dece- for his game against from Florida Dece- State. From December 5th, from mm-hmm. December 5th to January 8th, mm-hmm. he went 2 of 12, 4 of 12, 3 of 11, 1 of 7, 1 of 8, 4 of 9. Mm-hmm. Get off the floor. Get off the floor. Mm-hmm. Yes, you played well against Florida State. Good. You needed to. That's why you won. But, I mean, what a liability. You, 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 you show up like that in the tournament, great season. We only lost four games, but we lost our first one here today because he went one of 11. Mm-hmm. And you're a one-and-done player, and you're going to the draft, and pff, you did nothing at Duke. Basically, you did nothing. Great, wonderful season. You're going to still get drafted top 10, top whatever, mm-hmm. but... You didn't do it. I mean, the the inconsistency that he has had lately is really, really poor. And I hate to call him out because I truly think he's a great player. I do. But he has been awful. 
outside of Florida State, he's been awful the last seven games. Well, and the thing with Cam Reddish that I— Even Virginia. In Virginia, he struggled well, mightily. The Virginia game—okay, here's what I'm going to say with the Virginia game, and I might give him a pass for Virginia. If, is if there's any game that you're going to give a pass, yeah, it would be. Because, Virginia. like, I look at the Virginia game, and even coming in, like, my thought was even just by looking at the box score, my first thought was, oh, DeAndre Hunter was probably on him heavily. And DeAndre Hunter, one of the biggest things we talk about, whether it's big board mock draft, is his defensive skill and how good he is defensively. And I know that Cam Reddish didn't play against Syracuse, but I'm going to pull them into it as well. The thing that is unique about both of these games for all the Dukies is that they just played the two best defensive teams that they were going to play this year. And guess what? They get them again, and guess what? They could get they one, could get them again. maybe both. They, they, they maybe, could definitely get Virginia two more times. Yeah, they could get Virginia two more times. They could even get Syracuse two more times, depending on how the bracket falls out. Hell, they might get these teams four more times. One of them, because if Virginia goes far with Duke, could meet in the national tournament. And if Syracuse gets into the tournament and they're kind of like a mid-team like they usually are— they could progress through a region, and depending on where they're placed, could meet Duke again. So there's even a possibility they meet one of these teams four times this year. With Cam Reddish, the thing that I think about it is, is you've got out of the three Dukies, Zion's the top. There's little things that you can nitpick from Zion in college. Like There are a lot of people that are just like everything that he needs to work on is a next-level problem. It's not a college problem. With RJ, the thing that I see from him is very much, I'm going to say, kind of like the Russell Westbrook syndrome of, like, I am i don't want to say the word chucker, but I'm going to say the word chucker. Like, you look at it just game by game. The Florida State game, RJ went 10 of 19. The absolute next game where Cam Reddish was not out there, 8 of 30 for RJ. Like chucking, like chucking up shots where it's like get to thirty. Yeah, he finished with twenty three in that game, but that's because four of his eight shots were three pointers in that Syracuse game. But he shot eighty, and he only made ten of them. And then Virginia, eleven of nineteen, a lot better. Went to the line. Him and Zion feasted at the line. Although Zion, I wish you're. Um, 50% from the line was a little bit better. Maybe would have cracked 50% 30 from the line at crap. that point. The thing is, I feel like as the season goes on, Cam Reddish and RJ, we're just going to nitpick them. Does Is that going to affect where they go? No. These three will probably be all top four. They'll all be top five picks in the NBA draft. But I just, with Cam Reddish, the thing that I see from him is his scoring is there, like, when he's on, he has a shot. He can shoot from three. The thing I look at, though, is besides defense, what else is going to make him stand out from the other two or even John Morant? Because he's now in the conversation. If we're talking top four, RJ and Zion are better rebounders. Both of them have better assist numbers. It's what is going to make you stand out compared to the other two because right now, in his really good games, it's just his shooting and that he can shoot from an NBA three or a projected 
NBA three very well. Cause like, if I look at his, his assist numbers and yet again, this is how he fits into that system. One, three, one, one, zero, one, three, his highest has been four. And that was the Hartford game. You look at rebounds. Yeah. He had the most rebounds against Virginia with eight, but even before that, three, two, zero, three, three, three. The most rebounds three. he had before that was five against mm-hmm. uh, uh, was five against Auburn, and seven. then before that, it was Army. Yep, seven. In game two, mm-hmm. I'm, but and that but that's my that's my problem here. That's my problem here, and that's that's where scouts are going to say, mm-hmm. "What have you done for me lately?" Type of thing. And what have you done for your team lately, which is why a John Morant might be able to move up mm-hmm. ahead of him because again, I know and we'll get a little lot from from our from our viewers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, scoring's great. Yeah. But what else has he done? Do and that's think... why the, the hold on just okay. a second. Is that scoring is great, yes. And that's what a lot of us look at because that's where most people have the most impact. Mm-hmm. But like you've mentioned, the rebounds, eight rebounds, that's that's not a lot. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot. The, the other things that I look at are steals, blocks, assists, obviously. Only four assists. Most assists in one game is four. Mm-hmm. Most steals in a game, he had four back-to-back, Hartford and Yale. Well, I mean, you and I could have steals against Hartford and Yale. Then uh, talk for yourself, Brandon. <laughs> I'm not a big defensive guy. I, 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 in my old age, my old almost 30 age, shit, sit me in the corner I'm here, Kobe. Shoot me, pass me the rock. I'll shoot the three. Okay, yeah. I guess I'm a little <laughs> bit more uh, active and mobile than mm-hmm. you are, but um, he's killing you on the floor because he can't shoot. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that he did in Virginia, mm-hmm. like, well, rather against Virginia at home. I'm not saying that he did at Florida State. He had 23 there, mm-hmm. but it's the games, and, and and certainly the games coming up are not going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. If you look. At, at the games coming up for Duke, you're going to be playing two of the worst teams in the ACC. Pitt and Georgia Tech. Some of the worst offensive teams. That is not you. You shouldn't be getting uh, hurt by them. Followed by a Monday night game um, at Notre Dame, which we have. T- we have. Crap. We have. And this is Dave, Sean, and I have played around with the idea of going to that game, and probably won't. Um, then St. John's, who's played better. And then Boston College before so, you get Virginia again. So what I'm what I'm saying is that he can he he might be able to d- pull this go three for eleven mm-hmm. and have nine points against a team like that. But when you get back to the Virginias, when you get back to the Syracuses, when you get back to the teams in the conference that are actually worth a dime, mm-hmm. I I think that that's where you can't be inconsistent. You can't be pulling that type of stuff. And you also, if you're going to, you better get 10-plus rebounds. You better have some assists. Mm -hmm. You better have some steals, play some defense. That's what I'm saying, is that I'm not even talking necessarily just for him. I'm talking that if he continues on that inconsistent-type pace, like I mentioned already, the John Morants are going to jump in front of him. Mm -hmm. Guys below him right now are going to jump over him and he is going to fall and he is going to fall and he is going to fall. And I'm not talking like huh, out of the top 10, mm-hmm. but out of the top five could definitely be a realistic possibility if he continues on what has been a very inconsistent December and January. Now, I've got two things I want to ask you. The first one I want to go into a little bit is with Cam 
the thing that you'll notice if you look at his numbers, Virginia, six of his 12 shots were from three. He went one of six. Florida State, eight of his 15 were from three. He went five of eight. Against Wake Forest, seven of his nine were from three. He went two of seven from three. Oh of four from three. Half of his shots against Clemson were from three. The point I'm getting to is if you look at his numbers, most of them are coming from three. They are. And the thing that I wonder, and this is me going into the mind of an NBA scout, is one of the things we have said, and even as I look at Tankathon right now, whether when they have stat strengths and stat weaknesses, projected NBA three is on the stat strength and has two plus marks. Steals is at four, so that's like his biggest thing. Like, yes, he brings defense to the table, and that's what I think. If he didn't have that defensive part, he's not in the top five. He might not be even in the top ten for well. He'd be in the top ten at the most, but if he didn't have that defensive ability. Cam Reddish is nowhere near the top five for me right now. The thing I wonder with NBA teams is when they look at his film, when they look at him play, are they going to look at it and say two things and kind of give him the benefit of the doubt for this? The first one is going to be, well, most of his shots are from three. We can work on that with him. But he's not even been effective there And the second one, will they be saying, hey – the reason why he is so inconsistent is because of the Duke system is because of playing next to RJ and Zion They're like coach K is doing what he can because Dave always brings up this point. College coaches, their MO, unless you're John Calipari is to win basketball games. John Calipari is the only one that has made his MO. You come here, I'll get you drafted in the NBA. Every other coach, it's I'm here to win basketball games because that's why the school has employed me as their head basketball coach. Will scouts look at Cam and go, I see the foundations there of a shot. I don't have to fix your shot. A la Buddy Heald um, a long time ago when he had to fix his shot sophomore year of college. Will they look at it and go, it's it's the system he's in. It's playing next to RJ, playing next to Zion that is creating this inconsistency because he can never get in a rhythm because of the environment that he is offensively where it's not the same thing every game. It's being able to just do it on a dime when Zion and RJ don't have the ball. I mean, I think that's kind of a cop-out. If you're a good player, you're a good player. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter. Um, And if you take away the Florida State game, uh, so then three of the last four games that he's played, Clemson, Wake Forest, and Virginia, he has gone three of 17 from three. Mm -hmm. If that's supposed to be your specialty, not very special. Not very special in in, in those games. And and it it would be worse if I went uh, in games farther back. Mm -hmm. That's not good. That is not good, and especially when you're bringing up the great point of many of his shots are coming from there. He goes 2 of 12 in a game where he also went 1 of 9 from 3, or 4 of 12 went 0 of 5 from 3, 3 of 11, 3 of 8 from 3. But I guess, Ricky, is that the reason why we can talk about this as not being a complete and utter disappointment for Duke is because... At the same time, they have Cam Reddish, they have R.J. Barrett, they have Zion Williamson, they have 
Trey Jones, obviously, who is injured, if they were relying solely on a guy like Cam Reddish right now, they didn't have a Zion, they didn't have an RJ, well, they probably wouldn't be Duke then, but we would be talking a much different game Mm -hmm. with Cam Reddish because he would be killing his team instead of just kind of playing a third fiddle and, 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 and people saying, well... He hasn't been doing great, but they haven't been losing because of him. They've been winning. They've been winning a lot of their games, only with two losses on the season. It's a different story without those other two guys. Cam Reddish mm-hmm. lately, he's he's been he's been a huge disappointment and a liability on the floor. Well, and the thing I find, of course, this website that I just found, um, the Stepian. Dot com. Um, they have a shot chart, and I will say they haven't updated the shot chart since Christmas. Um, so everything since the Clemson game on, so four games, have not been added into this, but you can still kind of use it for ballpark. If you're looking at the three-point shot for Cam Reddish, left wing, so basically left side and left corner, is... 3 of 10, he's shooting 30%. Um, Above the break, so everything in the middle, um, he's 20 of 53, about 37, almost 38%. And then the right wing, similar to the left wing, 3 of 10, 30%. Um, That's the thing that I think going forward that with Tyus Jones being out and kind of to go to that question that I was Getting to at the beginning was how is Tyus Jones going to hurt their draft stock? Cam Reddish might be the might be the one that it hurts because he's the one to me that is not the ball dominant one in this system or that we have not seen be the ball dominant. Zion is ball dominant. RJ, the ball in his hands, likes to shoot up a bunch of shots. Wins and losses, it's not going to affect only when we get to like Virginia and Syracuse. Um or even let's see what happens when they get to UNC, but I don't expect UNC um, to be a huge problem for Duke because they have their own questions that I have with their team. Last question I want to ask you, and this is the Zion question that I had you prepped for. So on the jump, Scotty Pippen said that there is nothing that Zion needs to work on in college. He's already solidified his number one draft stock. And on the jump, Scottie Pippen said Zion should sit out the rest of the year. I want to pose that question to you. Should Zion Williamson shut it down for the rest of the year? Or do you think that he has, like, basically, should he shut it down the rest of the year? Or should he play out the rest of the season? No, he shouldn't shut it down the rest of the year. I think, I'll be honest with you, I think guys doing that, it's a, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's ridiculous. It'd be one thing if Zion Williamson was injured. Uh, now go back to, if, if you tran- transition over to, to football and college football, where we had uh, Nick Bosa mm-hmm. shut it down for the rest of the year. Okay? Still kind of weird. Mm-hmm. He, he kind of like withdrew from school shut it down for the rest of the year. But he was injured. There was an injury yeah. there. Zion Williamson is completely healthy, and he is the lifeblood of Duke basketball. Let's mm-hmm. be honest about it. There's no reason for him to shut it down. Why? Why? Why not enjoy, especially you love playing basketball. Mm-hmm. 
You're a healthy player. You are good. You are great. People love watching you night in and night out. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's obvious. Everyone knows it, and he knows it too. You have one year at, at Duke. Then you're going to the NBA. Keep playing. The, it, ridiculous mm-hmm. to shut it down, and, yeah. and, 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 in my opinion. Different if there's an injury. Mm-hmm. Then I can maybe get it. There is no injury. Do not shut it down. Well, and I, for me, I understand the, with the analyst side of things. When an analyst goes, you've solidified your number one. Like his big thing, Scottie Pippen said was, with your body size, one wrong fall and you could injure yourself. And if you get injured the rest Everybody, of the season. My gosh, Ricky, you and I walking I down sneeze. the street. I could sneeze could, and yes. injure my back. Yes. I could do that. Like, would I? Hopefully not. But I could do that. And. That's why for me, like, I am on the side of don't shut it down. Um, Because like you said, like, he is the lifeblood of Duke. And it depends on what's going on in Zion's head if winning in college is important because every guy is different. But for me, if he shuts it down and it's just RJ and Cam Reddish, this Duke team changes. This Duke team changes. They're no longer, to me, the, yes, they're still a really good team. They'll probably still be a one seed. But they are no longer that team that is like for sure probably going to run through the tournament um, and win everything. However, there is a chance that they can lose. They've done it before. Um, you just catch them on the wrong night or the right night for the other team, and they can get a win. I just I wanted to throw it your way because Zion is who he is at number one. But I am with you. Do not shut it down. Keep it going and make this year one of the most special years. Um, in Duke basketball. Any final thoughts before we move on into Matt's segment? No. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section about Ty, uh, Trey Jones. See, I caught myself twice now. Um, Trey Jones's injury. How does that affect Duke? And then anything we talked about, the draft stocks of Zion, RJ, and mainly Cam Reddish. That's the one that we mainly hit tonight on the podcast. And, of course, the Zion question. Let us know what you think. Should he shut it down? Or not. And let's move on into our next topic, Brandon. It's a very special one because we have joining us again. Love when we have him on the podcast. Matt calling us from, at this point, I forget, Matt, where you're calling us from, but you're calling us from somewhere, I hope. Um, and first off, haven't talked to you in a while. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm trying to stay warm. It's getting, getting pretty cold out. I'll ask you this. This is a random question that I asked Sean and Dave this week. If you had to choose one, which would you choose? Like, you have to live somewhere. Either somewhere where you deal with severe hurricanes or severe snowstorms. What would you pick? Uh, I think I'll go snowstorms. See, that's what I thought, too. What would you? I, I even asked you, Brandon. So my first thought was snowstorm, but then my second thought was hurricanes don't happen every year. Snowstorms do. Yeah, but I mean, there are, with how global warming is happening, like hurricanes happen every year now. Yeah, I'd almost maybe say that. You would say the hurricane because the rest of the the rest of the time would be better too. the The weather would be better. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't be all this cold nonsense. Yeah, that, it's just a thought that comes through the mind of Ricky Widmer um, when he drives to. Um, record um, because I'm driving through all this snow this weekend and I'm like, you know what? I hate it, but I would not want my house to be destroyed um, by a hurricane. But Matt's calling in. We're talking about Big Ten basketball today. Before we get into it, I'm going to pump the 
iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to go on iTunes and Apple Podcasts to rate and review the Primetime Podcast. I believe we're still at a 4.5. want to bump that rating up as high as we can get, and we cannot do it without your help. So even if you're on YouTube, please go over to our iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Type in the Primetime Podcast. You'll see our yellow logo. And then make sure you rate and review the podcast. But, Matt, we're talking the state of Big Ten basketball. And with this one, because it's kind of an ever-flowing topic and go in many different directions, I'm going to let you start. You kind of lead the conversation. When the state of Big Ten basketball, where do you want to start the conversation? I guess just generally I want to start in maybe comparing back to last year and how much the Big Ten has improved. Okay. Uh, last, yeah, I guess just you know, last year the Big Ten only got four teams in the NCAA tournament, which is very much low when you know compared to how much they normally get in. Versus this year, it's a it's a heck of a competitive conference from bottom to or top to bottom, probably the most competitive in the, in um, the nation. So I guess that's kind of where I want to hit on first. Okay, then I'll ask you this: bracketology right now, you've got. Right now, the Big Ten has four teams that are ranked. Purdue, technically, in the um, conference standings, are above Iowa, but Purdue is not ranked. Where do you see, like you mentioned, teams that got in the tournament last year kind of low for the Big Ten. Do you think, then, that the Big Ten is going to have more teams in the tournament this year? Oh, for for sure. If they don't, something's terribly wrong. I mean, I think... I think you're talking probably seven or eight for sure. And then with the possibility of 10 and if you know, going along that line of thinking bracketology right now, um, Joe Lenardi does have 10 big 10 teams in the tournament. And I, I think at face value, people might not realize, you know, okay, I'm seeing four ranked teams. How, how do you get to 10? And I think the, the, the real answer is well, one, the rankings don't mean a whole lot. Um, but two, it's just that it's so stacked that the big 10 starting to, beat up on each other in the middle you got a bunch of quality teams that are going to be beating each other up um, night in and night out well you look at it right now and 11 of the 14 teams overall have a record above 500 that's pretty impressive that's pretty impressive from from even the spot where they were last year and that's matt what you were saying from top to bottom it's really not a bad conference um, you know, Penn State, obviously, they haven't won a, a game in the conference. And then you have Rutgers and Illinois, both only with one win each in the inside the conference. But even in the middle, your teams like your Wisconsin's, Minnesota's, Nebraska's, Indiana. I mean, they're they're all talking that these teams very much, while not being ranked right now, have an opportunity to be a tournament team uh, come March. So that's. I think another thing where you you look at that and you say a, a year ago, this was a Big Ten that people people were laughing at because it was so down, and that people were saying, "Well, maybe." I mean, I remember Rick, you and I, mm-hmm. maybe four, yeah, three, 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 definitely. And it's and it's so interesting on how far this has come now with Michigan. I think being the last team to be undefeated. Finally, have t- finally having their first loss of seventeen and one, but how good? And I think this sometimes too is a knock that conferences will get. Let's say that the Big Ten has ten teams that go into the tournament. 
how many of them actually play well. Because that's what we've seen too many times when a conference gets a lot of teams in there. They'll get a lot of teams, and by the second weekend, almost half of them have been eliminated. Well, I mean, I'll look at one. I'll throw it right now. Minnesota. And the reason why I say them is you look at bracketology right now, and of course Joe Lenardi's not the committee, but right now Minnesota would be lined up to be an 11 in the East region um, for Lenardi. They'd play Arizona in Dayton for the first day of games. Then they would have to go to San Jose to play Florida State. Well, Florida State's a team. Just took Duke recently all the way to the wire. Minnesota's a team. Couldn't even walk out of... I got to double check if that game... Couldn't even walk out of Champaign with a win against Illinois this year. Like, let's just put it this way. FAU has done something that you could not do this year. I just want to put that into perspective for Minnesota. Like, that is, to me, a perfect example of team. And the thing that also plays into this is how these teams will play over the season, where how many times do we see a team get hot late, where it's like, oh, they'll be in the tournament, they'll be a lower team. They get hot late, a la like a Syracuse when they were a 10 seed. That was also a thank God we got seeded there because we got a little bit of an easier road to the championship rather than what we had. That was the year that um, we had went to the UC to watch them play in the Sweet 16. And, I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It could benefit a team. Like, hey, we're going to get in. We're going to be an 11-10 seed run through this tournament because we're playing teams. But, like, it could also hurt because right now Minnesota, I throw that out there because in their last four are 2-2 two and two where, yeah, they've beat Penn State by one point, I will say, and they beat Rutgers, who isn't that good. But they lose to Maryland, who's the second-best team in the conference right now, and they go on the road to Illinois, and they lose. Their next three games are—I'd even say their next, what, six games are tough then. At Michigan, home against Iowa. Illinois, you didn't beat them once, so I guess I can let Illinois beat you again. Purdue, Wisconsin, who just beat Michigan, and Michigan State. So, like— that's a team, like, there are teams that are lower on. Minnesota's the one I use. Let's see where they're at six games down because this could be a next six games where they go 0-6, 1-5, of maybe 2-4, of and they're not sitting at 14-4 and anymore like they are right now. Yeah, and I and I agree with your assessment of Minnesota. I think if, if we're going to talk about any of those teams that are currently projected into the tournament they're kind of maybe the the team to really be concerned with as you mentioned got hammered by illinois and then barely could beat penn state at home and i think you know i guess i don't know if you guys know about this but they've kind of gotten rid of the rpi system this year Mm -hmm. they've realized how bad it was and they're going to this net ranking system and if you look at the net rankings minnesota is all the way down at 65 so i think that kind of reflects that the the analytics don't support that they really are that good of a team so maybe they find their way out but what what it does support is that the fact that the big 10 is a good conference in fact in the net rankings i'm looking right now it has seven teams in the top 25 even though the ap you know only only has four so i think um 
and I think Ken Palm, which is another, you know, analytic approach, I think same story, seven Big Ten teams in the top 25. So I think that that kind of more so supports um, what we're saying here in terms of the depth of the Big Ten. So I've got a random question. Unless you have something that you were going to throw out, B. Random question for either of you that wants to take it because – Yet again, having a ton of teams in the tournament doesn't mean that, oh, your conference is more superior. It just means you've got a lot of teams kind of fighting with each other that have good records and um, hopefully deserve to be in. Here's a question I want to ask, though, is basically if any of these Big Ten teams, we know like maybe like a Michigan or a Maryland might not be, more so Michigan because they might be a one seed along with this team. But let's say any of the lower-seeded Big Ten teams are put in the same region as Duke. Could you see any of these Big Ten teams in the tournament giving Duke a fight and knocking them off in the tournament, being like that to the measuring stick for the Big Ten? Because I would say if the Big Ten got the most teams in and then one of their teams knocked off Duke, I mean, we'd look at the Big Ten and go, holy crap, they knocked off Duke, no matter who it is. I'd say the only two that could possibly do it, maybe Michigan or maybe Michigan State. Mm -hmm. I think they're the only two. I don't think any other Big Ten team would be able to hang with Duke. Now, maybe that is an an incorrect assessment, but again, I I think that Duke is really, I mean, most of the ACC teams cannot hang with Duke. The Um, two best defensive teams have been the only ones that can hang with them. So that's... That's why I, I, I look at that and I say Michigan State and, and Michigan maybe. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, Duke is a Duke is in rare form this year. Mm-hmm. They're in rare form this year where they have three of the top recruits. The three top recruits mm-hmm. all went to Duke. The possible one, two, and three picks in the draft are all at Duke. It's it's really crazy and I don't I don't see too many teams being able to get into Duke's way come tournament time as long as they're healthy. But if there are more injuries that happen to creep up on this team or inconsistencies that really settle in, that's the only way that I think we could see another team jump up and get them. Of course, I think right now they're probably the favorite. But my also question that I kind of wanted to bring Mm -hmm. up too, and Matt, you can go with Ricky's first and then and, and then kind of take mine here is how good is Michigan State this year? Hmm. How good is Michigan State? Because last year I thought that they were going to prove to be much better come tournament time. And then they went up against what seemed to be for them a brick wall in Syracuse. And they could not get anything done. Their outside shooting was was really not that good and 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 to beat a team like Syracuse outside shooting probably has to be good because you're not going to get much inside and they couldn't get much on any side so they also are going into one of their I think toughest stretches uh so far right now obviously they're 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 two losses uh the first one coming to Kansas at the beginning of the season and then Louisville a couple of uh, maybe two weeks after that, mm-hmm. but they've got Maryland tonight, Iowa on the road, Purdue on the road, Indiana at home. 
That's a pretty tough stretch for me, uh, to, to me for them. And then their their final one is going to be their last four games where they go road Michigan, road Indiana, home Nebraska, home Michigan. Right now I think this is where we're going to find out how good this Michigan State Spartan team is. Yeah, so I guess I'll I'll start with Ricky's question. Can, like as far as who in the Big Ten can compete with a Duke, I think Brandon nailed it. I think really – we, I talk about the depth, but when it comes down to it, I think there's really only two maybe legitimate title contenders, and that's um, Michigan and Michigan State in terms of they've, they've separated themselves a little more from the rest of the pack. Um, Brandon, to your question on Michigan State then, just how good are they? I, it's pretty amazing, I mean, to be honest, and it's not just them, actually. It's, it's multiple teams within the conference that lost a ton of talent, like you said, um, Michigan State losing Jackson and um, – Bridges and um, I guess that's it. But um, a ton but of talent within have, those players. But right, yeah, two huge pieces, right? I mean, I think really what's kind of elevated them back to this level of success is I think Cash just Winston. I think he's played phenomenal this year, and he's as a point guard has really kind of set the tone for the rest of the team. I think he's probably a legitimate, you know, All American, first team All American right now, and maybe even. Um, you know, second behind the who we know is the national player of the year in Williamson, probably. Um, so I think I, I think they're real. I, I think we're you're right. We're going to find out a little more here as they get into the the brutal part of their schedule. But um, I, even if they lose a few games, I, I I wouldn't take that as a as a warning sign of they're they're not that good. I think they are. I think the Big Ten is going to present challenges and they might lose a few on the way, but. I think they're they're in it for the long haul. See, here's the thing that I wonder against a like Michigan State, where and this is kind of what you can take any team, any conference, it's a little bit different of a conference opponent against a non-conference opponent where most of these teams because let's be honest, they're mostly not Duke, not Kentucky. A lot of these Big 10 teams don't have one and doneers. On their team, there were a few, but not a big amount of one and done players. Like you look at Michigan, they've got some players that were on that team last year. Charles Matthews stepping up, returning from that runner-up team. I know that like Miles Bridges wasn't a one and done, but Jaron Jackson was for Michigan State. But I just look at it and I wonder if how much they see the opponents in the Big Ten, they become familiar with these opponents, become familiar with the coaches on the other side and kind of where the players can almost predict what the coaches are going to do, much like Tom Izzo can almost predict what the coach on the other side of the court is going to do. To me, it comes to the non-conference, and I look at their non-conference teams. They beat a Florida on the road. That's probably, to me, their best win um, because Florida, not a terrible team, um, but in the SEC is a two and three team right now. The win against UCLA, yeah, it was number seventeen at the time, but that win to me is being devalued um, by the day, um, especially when they fire their head coach. Um, that kind of tanks that win a little bit. And then you look at like Kansas, who's going to be a top four team. They'll probably be one of the number one seeds or number two, depending how the how the year ends out. They lost to them, and I know it was beginning of the year, so each team grows. But you lose to them, you lose to a Louisville team that I thought 
that they should have beaten in November. With a Michigan State, I wonder what they will do in the tournament when they do get, okay, you've gotten maybe not game one because they'll have time to prepare for that, but game two, okay, you've had a day. You played on Friday, now you're playing on Sunday. Is somebody going to be able to get the best of you and say, hey, you know what? This is we got the better of you because you didn't have as long to plan for us. I know it's different than football, but you didn't have as long to plan for us. We're in the Big Ten conference. It didn't really need that because they're more familiar with the team. So they didn't need much longer than a couple days to plan for a Big Ten team. Does that kind of am I weird for thinking that about Michigan State? No, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I'll, I'll, I'll give it over to mm-hmm. to, to Matt on on that, but I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say quickly no and, and let, <laughs> let, let 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 Matt take it all. I don't want to take his 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 mm-hmm. precious time. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think part of that's just the nature of the NCAA tournament, though, mm-hmm. and that's why we love it, right? Though it's just because it's so random, and if we, when it truly comes down to it. If these teams, like if Michigan State plays uh, uh, Middle Tennessee State ten times, they probably only lose that game once, right? Two years ago when they got upset, or <laughs> and it's the one they played. <laughs> well, exactly. But uh, so I guess I don't know. I, to that point, I don't know. I never put a ton of stock in the NCAA tournament just because it is so random. It's matchup. It's, it's it's everything. But um, as far as could could a could not being able to prepare for a game impact them? I would say the numbers support probably no because, you know, take analytics for what they're worth, but their their data, um, if I'm looking again at Ken Palm, Michigan State's adjusted offense and defense are both in the top 10, supporting that, you know, all around that they're efficient on both ends of the floor. And I think that will travel no matter who they play. I think, you know, some of that is inherent to who you are as a team and some of that doesn't change. How you perform and execute within a game, that's open to randomness of the NCAA tournament. But um, as a whole, I, I don't think you can argue with those numbers support that they are um, a legitimate team with a good base for, for success. And the thing that I look at is I'm going to bridge it over from one team Brandon brings up in the state of Michigan over to the other team in the state of Michigan The one thing I feel with the Big Ten is that I have a strong feeling that Michigan, like, how do I want to phrase this? I'll put it this way. I will predict it right now, put my money where my mouth is. You know what's going to be our national championship this year? Michigan-Duke. Unless they're on the same side, then that's the Final Four matchup. I feel like from the Big Ten, what I've seen from Michigan and how I want to say experienced they have been because of course they do have a big freshman. You've got Iggy Brzdigas kind of balling out right now, the big freshman coming in. Yes, they lose Abdul Rahman, one of my favorite players just because of his name um, last year. Look at the other players leading their team. Charles Matthews, upperclassman, Jordan Poole, upperclassman, um, Xavier Simpson, upperclassman. Like they are led with their upper class, even with Iggy out there. And I just, I have a feeling that when it comes to the Big Ten, each team kind of has a story for me. Michigan, I'm very confident that they're going to make a run this year. 
Maryland, I'm kind of questioning their, I'm going to say validity um, as a tournament team because they're not usually like, yes, they were good, but they haven't been that top, top team. And can they make that staple this year with that? Michigan State, I kind of feel like they're that team that, hey, you've been here before. Your coach knows what to do, but you don't have those big names. Cassius Winston has been balling out. Matt Dave is going to be happy that you mentioned his name because on our big board, he was all over Cassius Winston um, towards the bottom end. But with Michigan State, I'm a little lower on this year because they don't have the big names like they've had in years past. And then you've got Purdue and Iowa where, to me, they kind of, with me, sit into those teams where they don't have the big names like they've had in years past, kind of like with Michigan State, but like on a peg lower to where in conference play, these teams beat each other up and they're all going to be close with each other. Like you look at the records, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or at four and three right now, um, where you have to go down to the bottom four, five teams for teams that are under 500 technically Indiana's under 500 um, in their conference standings but there are a few teams besides Northwestern Rutgers Illinois and Penn State that people just kind of write off right away because they have two one or zero wins in the conference I just wonder how this moving forward is going to how is the committee going to look at it are they going to look at it like we've been saying, like, hey, this is a tough conference, kind of like Joe Lenardi has. These 10 teams deserve to be in because they beat each other up. Or if a team like Minnesota loses a bunch of games, will they then say, well, no, you're not that good. I don't care what conference you're in. And could a team or two from these 10 that we are seeing kind of be played out of it and we kind of settle at the end with more eight rather than... 10 what we're seeing now maybe i mean we still have so much more more basketball Mm -hmm. left to play and and that's you know that's the thing it's not that we have just a week or two Mm -hmm. there is still so much time to see other teams separate themselves from the middle of the pack and move more towards where michigan state and Mm -hmm. and michigan are and i i mean i guess i'll throw maryland in there too i i hate to to Mm -hmm. to keep them out because maryland fans are would be saying hey we're seven and one we're 16 and three we're good too um but you know like like matt i i've I've gotta ask you i ask you every (laughs) freaking year is purdue gonna actually do something this year i mean you know and and i know you're asking the same question but I, i i think that Purdue always seems to be, and I've I've talked to you about this when we're not talking uh, on 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 the air here. Um, is, is is that they can be such a good team during the regular season, but once it's tournament time, once it's time to play with the big dogs and the big games, they get scared. They pack it up. They go home and they say, "We'll try next year." Farthest they've been, Sweet Sixteen in the Matt Prater era. I I mean, uh, you know, it's when does it? When does that end? When does that end for for Purdue and for a Purdue basketball fan to say with confidence, I know, I know that this Purdue team is going to not only play well in the regular season, not only play well in the conference, but that they're also going to play well come 
conference tournament time and national tournament time. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. So they they always seem to fall short in the tournament. And while it's not an excuse, I will point out that like three of their four best teams literally lost the starter either like weeks before the tournament or during the tournament in the case of last year, Haas breaking his elbow. Yeah. So again, yeah, I mean, non- terrible. Just unfortunate. But um, as far as when does that day happen? I mean, I, I think if you look at this year's team, they started out with Carson was the one known, you know, he was the one, one of the five starters coming back four senior starters graduating and you knew he could score, but you didn't know how he would um, adapt to this new role where he was going to be the guy. And out of the gate, to be honest, he struggled. I mean, he's averaging 25 points a game, but he's not being very efficient to get there, or at least he wasn't. And Purdue, unfortunately, you probably would trade schedules this year with last year. They they played like, I don't know, four or five top 15 teams, either on road or neutral sites. And sure enough, they lost all of them. And Purdue at one point was six and five, which makes where they're at now seem pretty um, heroic. They're, they're 12 and six and fourth in the conference, and they're on the uptrend. And the reason for that is now that the other pieces besides Carson Edwards have really kind of figured out their roles and Carson is starting to trust them more and all around they're, they're locking in defensively. So as far as this in-season change, it's been very welcome as far as what it yields long-term. It's hard to say. I mean, <laughs> Purdue 12 and 16, they're not ranked. No one thinks a whole lot of them. Well, I'll go again to Ken Palm. Somehow, Ken Palm with Purdue at six losses has them at ninth, suggesting that, you know, analytically they are a pretty good team and net rankings have them at 15. So that, you know, of course takes into account the schedule and how they've been playing as of late. But um, I guess there's a long way to long winded answer to say that as far as the tournament, I don't know that this is the best season to judge that just because they did lose so much talent um, and that where they're at, is is coming into um a good spot i would say you know this is pretty much maybe what you can expect out of this year but um it's hard to say what that even yields in the next year because i'm pretty sure we're going to lose carson edwards and then you know what's left and what does that look at like next year i don't know but i will say the one thing i'll and i'll end with this is that if you have a guy like carson edwards on your team Anything can happen in the tournament as far as that guy kind of taking the reins and carrying you far. We've seen it before with Steph Curry, obviously, and I I know there's plenty of other examples. But if you have that guy on your team and you have enough supporting cast, which Purdue is finally starting to get, um, I won't put it past that they couldn't make a run. I don't think they're necessarily suited for it, but you never know. Matt, now my question – you. Talking, bringing up uh, kind of the rankings, the, the the Ken Palm, and you know some things like that, and, and going away from RPI. How do you think that that maybe helps someone like like Ricky and I, who are looking at stuff and trying to analyze some of these teams and see who's going to be good, who's going to possibly make a run? How how much more accurate do you think these rankings could be? For us to be able to look at a team that is that team coming out of nowhere, 
you know how you you say you know Pur- Purdue is on Ken Palm I think it was ranked at ranked at nine for what they could be. Obviously Purdue right now not ranked at anything um, right now right. In, in the in, in the rankings. But how much more accurate? Are, are, are possibly these rankings than what RPI was and and, and what that kind of told us and, and, and told the fans and, and, and everything like that. I, I guess I, I'm just always so curious how it gets to the point of, okay, well, we didn't even see this team coming, you know, out of, out of thin air. Part of it certainly has to do with just that tournament atmosphere. Some teams just go on that run, and that's what we love. That's what we absolutely love. That's why so many people love college basketball and March Madness. But could these rankings be more accurate for us to be able to say, hey, you know, this this team over here, um, Loyola, man, we could have seen them coming with this ranking because of all the stuff that it's taking into account as opposed to what it was before. Yeah, I mean, I think – so I'm, I'm actually looking it up right now. So I, I don't know where they were prior to the tournament run, but if I look at Ken Palm last year, Loyola was ranked 31st. So, you know, sure. suggesting they were an adequate team. And if I kind of look at this year, I'm going to go to maybe what I'm going to say is a comparable team is Buffalo, a team that not everyone thinks of, but they're, they're playing fairly well. And Ken Palm has them at 20. So, you know, backing up the fact that they are, a legitimate team. And, and I guess for, we can probably find examples where it, it proves the the other way, but I guess I'll go back to Minnesota. We're talking about, they have a 14 and four record, but we've talked about their recent struggles. And again, Ken Palm has them at 66, which kind of more accurately, I think depicts what sort of team they are, what we should expect them to be. So I think, I, I, I think there's a reason you're seeing the NCAA ditch the RPI and go more to, this analytic stuff because they realize it's, I mean, it's, it's, da- it's proven data, right? It's, it, it's, it's a better indicator um, than, than anything else, but better indicator than everyone's own opinions where you're going to get different answers all around. It's, it's, it's objective and it's, and it's taking on-court performance and, and categorizing it. So I, I, I don't know. I, I like the idea and I think it's, it, it just makes it better all around. Here's what I'll say, and this is kind of me, as you guys have been talking, I've been looking at stuff, and first I'll start with Purdue. The thing I'll say with Purdue is look at the last two years they've been in the tournament, Sweet 16 exits. The thing I want to say is look at the teams that eventually beat them. Last year was Texas Tech. That Jarrett Culver and Zaire Smith team beat them in the Sweet 16. Before that, Purdue had beat Butler. Yeah, it was a close three-point game, and they beat Cal State Fullerton, the um, one before. Two years ago, they beat Vermont. They then beat Iowa State. Who did they lose to in that Sweet 16 game? Just the number one-seeded Kansas Kansas. Jayhawk team. And I think for Purdue, the biggest thing is the last two years, they've gotten over the hump of, we're not going to be upset in the first round because it was, I believe, Cincinnati and then Little Rock the year after um, were the two teams that beat them in the first round. They've been getting to the second weekend. Now what they need to do is make that next step of like, okay, if we're going to get to the second weekend, we have to know 
we are going to be playing a higher level of talent because like a team that I'm going to bring in really quick for the end of this is Maryland, who I mentioned before and how you mentioned, Brandon, how you were like, oh, I don't want to diss them. Yeah, I don't want to diss them. But look at since they've been in the Big Ten, they've had a third round exit, a sweet 16 exit, a first round exit, and then didn't even make the tournament last year. And out of their appearances, 2017, they get beat by an 11th seeded Xavier team that went all the way to the Elite Eight before losing to Gonzaga in the Elite Eight game. Then in 2016, they go all the way to the Sweet 16. They beat South Dakota State by five points. Then in that second game, and this is the beauty of the tournament that Matt had talked about, they got lucky. A 13-seeded Hawaii team beat that Jalen Brown and Ivan Rabb team from uh, Cal. They got to play Hawaii in the second round, beat Hawaii, and then lost to number one-seeded Kansas in the Sweet 16. And then in... 2015, they beat Valpo in the first round. Boom, in the second round, or they called it the third round, they lost to West Virginia. So, I mean, they're another team that, even though they're going to be in the tournament, how far are they going to go? And I know that Purdue and Maryland, different. Purdue, it's kind of getting over your own demons, I kind of feel, whereas Maryland, it's more of like, we're just... One year we got lucky. We got to play a 13-seeded team, but really that doesn't matter because it's whoever has the better game that day. But I just I feel like, the to me, the only true team in this conference that I have any confidence in coming into the tournament to go, like, really far is Michigan. It goes to your point earlier, Brandon, is what type of a Big Ten are we going to see? One where... Most of those teams get to the second weekend, or by the time we get to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, it's like, well, they're all gone. The only one left. Um, and yet again, beauty of the tournament. It's why we love it. Um, it's not like college football where we Alabama always gets in because they're the best team. Where this one, Duke could come in, face a 16 seed, and lose to that 16 seed. Thank you, UMBC. I can <laughs> finally say that now. Um, but I just feel like the Big Ten is going to have to prove this year in the tournament quality over quantity. Which one is it? Is it just quality or are there quantity to these teams that get into the tournament? And But everyone has to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. ev- every conference has to do that. Every conference that sends that sends multiple teams that sends Years before was five, the ACC. five plus teams. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they're, they're going to have to be, uh, you know, all, always doing that because I, I mean, there's, but there's also numbers of times all the time where we'll see a, a conference. Oh, they'll send eight. And, and within the first couple of days, five are out, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I mean, and then, and then it has everyone going, well, they were, they were not good. good. They sucked. Um, and that is that that, <laughs> that is usually the Big Ten. For whatever reason, mm-hmm. people almost always 
one, never want to give the Big Ten credit during the regular season, Mm -hmm. and two, when the Big Ten does struggle in the tournament, everyone acts like they're, you know, Colin Cowherd and say, I said it all year long. Where Colin was right. right. I was right, and you were wrong, (laughs) and I should have my own network on FS1. Actually, don't. He kind Um, of already does. No, no, no. The individual people. I know he kind of already does. He kind of already runs that boat over there. No, I know. I'm Fox. not. I know. I'm not talking about okay. him, Ricky. Oh, okay. I said individual people who think they're Colin oh, Coward. Okay. Keep up, bud. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess that's just the whole thing. So it's it's always going to come down to that when it when there's multiple teams mm-hmm. going. I guess I just think that this year could be a little bit different for for the Big Ten. Yeah, there's a lot of teams right now, but as I said. There's going to be more teams that we start to find are real big-time players in this and those that start to creep more towards the bottom where at the end of the day it may be seven, it may be eight teams that end up going, but really separating themselves to say, hey, we it may be only seven, it may be only eight, but we're a solid seven, eight teams where at the end maybe you have you know, three going sweet 16. Here's to give you an example, and this is just the last two years. So last year's tournament, the top three team, the top three conferences, ACC had nine teams get in. Two got to the Elite Eight, none got further. SEC had eight, none of them got past the sweet 16. Um, and the Big 12 had seven, one team went to the, three went to the Elite Eight, one went to the final four. Um, 2017, ACC with nine. Um, about, let's see, six of them were out. Only one remained from the Sweet 16 on, and that's because the ACC won the national title um, that year. Big East had seven. One was remaining by the Elite Eight. They were knocked out after that. Big Ten also had seven. Um, all of their seven were knocked out in the Sweet 16 weekend. Uh, So just kind of to put into perspective of these conferences who had the most and kind of how far each one had gotten. Like, for example, last year, Big East had six. By the Sweet 16, Villanova's the only one that remained, and they went on to win it all. So just to put it in a little bit of perspective. But, Matt, we'll go to you. Any final thoughts on the state of the Big Ten or anything that you think we hadn't hit in this topic so far? No, I think we got it. I mean, I think just in general, it's a lot better than it was last year. And this is more of what you expect. And hope, hopefully we see it pan out where it, it is a juggernaut in terms of all these teams or a lot of teams make the tournament and, and go far. It's a lot less depressing this year, I will say. Last year no was doubt. like, oh, man, how many teams are we going to get? Now we're actually like talking about, oh, there could be um, a lot of teams getting in. Any final thoughts, B? No, I think we touched on every single thing we possibly could in the Big Ten. All right, there's one thing. One thing we haven't touched, and i got to get it here at the very end. I know. I figured maybe we would just skip over it because no no. no one cares. No, I want to ask you guys very briefly. This doesn't have to be a Ricky rant. I don't need to rant about them. Like, I've gotten to the point where Illinois this year is not even worth my time. I'll wait till next year. (laughs) Ricky, that Um, just sounds like... I know, it sounds so defeated. Doesn't it suck to not only be a Cub fan, but also an Illinois fan? No, the Cubs are good now, though. Well, I mean, that's that's your own perspective. Like, I can actually be excited (laughs) about the the Cubs. The Cubs were good, they had been, and it's over. I'm happy. I'm happy going to the NLCS for sure. 
um, in each of the years. But I mean, the the thing that I want to ask you guys, and this is kind of I want to get an outside of Illinois perspective. Um, is Brad Underwood going to be the guy? <laughs> like, should we be already looking for the next guy at Illinois? Like, is he the problem? Because I keep looking at it and I'm going, you didn't do well last year. I know you've got a young team this year, and I maybe we put too much stock in Ao, uh, um, not Demboya, uh, Dasumu, um, the Morgan Park kid who was really good and this year showing some growing pains in college, but has shown how he's good or not. I just want outside opinion really quick to maybe talk me off the ledge. Brad Underwood, should we be confident in him? Like maybe yes, this team can go forward, or should me and Orange and Blue Nation be looking for a new head coach soon? Matt, go ahead. I mean, I think you got to give him another year. I mean, I think I saw he just got another top 40 recruit coming in next year. So for that reason alone, I don't think you want to give him up. But That's even worse when you have him come in and you can't do anything with him. Uh, no doubt. I mean, if something, I, I think you got to get another year just because you, you got got to make sure he gets his guys in and, and everything for sure. But um, after that, then I think you really got to step back. And I mean, if, if you're not at least you know, even if it's NIT at that point, if you're not at least threatening that, then you got to definitely reconsider. John Gross got us into the tournament. This is this is what I would say. You got to keep him as long as you continue to keep Lovey and football sucks. You've <laughs> got to keep Underwood because it don't it just oh. it's fair. It's just about being fair because Lovey is has come in and been able to do literally nothing mm-hmm. with the Illinois football program. So let's see what Underwood can do. This is what year. Two, three, right now? This is year now? two of Underwood. This is year two of Underwood. I mean, you have to give him at least now four, because I think that's how many love he's been there, right? Yeah. So he's he's got to he's We all know he's going to get multiple more years. That's just what Illinois does. Um, but I'm with Matt. You, you have to... You have to play out the rest of this year. You have to give him another year next year. You have to hope in year three that he's going to eventually do something good to get to year four. Otherwise, you know he's going to be there year four. You just don't know if it's going to be good year four. And the thing that makes me feel bad, and this is the last thing I'll say, is being down on the team. And every time we lost, I would have a running joke. Before Tom Thibodeau got fired, I would have a running joke on Twitter that every time Illinois lost— I would just send out the tweet that, well, I hear I, I hear Fred Hoiberg's looking for a job um, because Fred Hoiberg is looking for a job and kind of like, oh, maybe we should fire Brad Underwood and bring in Fred Hoiberg, maybe make him the mayor of Champaign. But, I mean, the thing that irks me – well, not irks me, but, like, gets me down is I doubt the team. And then I see tweets from, like, the players that are like, oh, don't – if you're going to doubt us now, don't be on the bandwagon when we're good – And there's a part of me that's like, no, I want to be on the bandwagon because I want you to be good now. But there's a part of me, maybe it's that Cubs fan in me, that how much more, how much more losing can I take? How much more can I take? Well, I did 108 years of it, and then we won, won it all. So did you you do 108, all 108 with them side by side? Pretty much, I did maybe the the first season I really remember. You probably did a solid is like 15. 96, 95, 96. Um, Carrie Woods 97 season is very vivid um, in my head. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below about the state of the Big Ten. Anything about Big Ten basketball? If you're a fan of a Big Ten basketball team, 
Let us know what you feel about the conference and your individual team as well. I want to thank Matt for joining us. You can be like Matt if you go on to patreon.com backslash Podcast and join us at the $10 tier. We obviously can't do what we do without the love of our patrons. So, Matt, thank you for coming on. But, Brandon, let's move on into our final segment. And before we get into it, got to thank Matt again for joining the podcast. Make sure if you're on YouTube, go and check out our wonderful conversation that we had with Matt about Big Ten basketball and kind of the state of the Big Ten. But we're going to keep the college basketball podcast going, Brandon, looking more so at a draft topic to end things out, kind of looking at a spotlight um, with players. By the time this goes up, I'm trying to think. By the time this goes up both on podcast services around the world and on YouTube, you can also check out the fast break. I'm going to pitch that. We talked about Kevin Porter Jr. and his suspension last week. That video should be up, and that podcast is already up. But, Brandon, today you and I are taking a look at Romeo Langford. And Romeo Langford, to me, is one of the most I – don't, I don't want to say interesting. I kind of want to use the word unique, but I don't even know if that word kind of fits in with what I'm going into is – he is a player so far, and this is via the comment sections, where I feel like play I feel like people either love him or they hate him. Either you're too high on him, you're too low on him. There's no in the middle with Romeo Langford. And Romeo Langford, depending on where you look, I know you and I, it was eons ago when we did a big board together. The next big board, the 3.0, will be us again. But beginning of the year or towards the beginning of the year, we were both very high on Romeo. You had him at five. I even had him at four. So both of us had him in the top five. Then in our second one that was around the end of the year after Christmas, he had fallen all the way to 11 in my big board. And Even when you look at the mock draft that Sean, Dave, and I do on the fast break, it's very split up. Sean has him six. I had him 10. Dave has him outside the top 10. So what I want to ask you is when it comes to Romeo Langford, are we not me and you, but like a collective, we overall, are we too low or have Romeo Langford too low in our mock drafts and our big board? And are we too low on him? Going from the last spot that you had him just at 10 or 11 going at this one, like how we have him maybe at the end of the top 10, is that too low for him or should he be, you know, a top five, almost top five prospect. See, here's the thing that makes it difficult with Romeo Langford is that, you know, he comes into college basketball as a five star mm-hmm. prodigy. And he's named Mr. Basketball. He's given all of these names. CBS calls him the chosen prince of <laughs> IU. And the chosen prince of IU. I guess I just think you look at how Indiana's played the last four games. It's been bad. Mm-hmm. They're not good. Not the last four games. Um, when I hear all those things, when I hear chosen prince, Mister Basketball, five star prodigy, mm-hmm. you know what I think of. Better be just like Zion Williamson. Mm-hmm. That's what I think of. Guy who's doing it all. Who's got the body type. Who's big. Who's NBA ready like the day he came in to college. 
and everything that he seems to do. I'm not saying he's perfect. Of course not. But almost everything he seems to do, he does it so well. And he can do all these different things. It's like I mentioned on the fast break, and this is the difference between Zion and everyone else. With Romeo, and I'm going to bring up one today, we look at a weakness and go, oh, man, like, oh, he's really got to work on this if he wants to improve his draft stock. With Zion, it's like, well, you know, if he could improve his three, like, he'd become a really good player. Like, it's not a knock that he he can't shoot the three well. Like, we look at it and just go, well, yeah, you know, if he does that, then, man, he'll be a really phenomenal NBA player at the next level and kind of the difference that Zion has on everyone else. I guess my my whole thing is, well, at the end of the day, is Romeo Langford going to end his career at mm-hmm. IU being a 20-point-per-game player, you know, someone who did make an impact, someone who was a really good player for them? Yes. Yes, he's going to. But at the end of the day, are people also going to look and go, yeah, that Romeo Langford guy, he was really good, but he didn't take it in Indiana anywhere. Mm-hmm. They went nowhere. They didn't they 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 maybe made a bid to the to the tournament. They didn't go far. That's that's where it's where do you cut off the difference between good as a player and couldn't take his team anywhere? Mm-hmm. Because are you a bad player if you don't take your team anywhere? Are you a bad player if you do not succeed? If you do not help your team to succeed in the regular season, to get to the tournament, to make a good in a long tournament run, are you then no longer a good player? Mm-hmm. It's it's somewhere in the gray there for me, especially here on Romeo Langford. Is that yes, he is a really good player, but I don't think that he's ever going to measure up to the names that he's been given. Well, and, not here with IU. And here's the thing I look at too is. With Romeo Langford, the I'm not gonna put team success in like it's not he is not gonna be the only one to bring this team to where they're at. Because you look at some of the teams that are in the top five, Tennessee, who's at number one, Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield are in NBA draft mocks, they're in draft conversations, they're both averaging 18, 17 a game, they're both really good players. Duke, we've talked about them. We know they have three phenomenal players. You look at Virginia. They've got Kyle Guy and DeAndre Hunter who lead that team at the top with various different skills. Gonzaga, they always are. Gonzaga, they always have different players. You've got Norville. You've got Clark. You've got uh, Rui Hachimura. You've got, hopefully, Killian Tilly. Now, right now, back five games, can get under it and get back to where he was Last year, and then you have Michigan, where Michigan has three good guys. Poole's been doing well, but with Charles Matthews and um, Iggy Brisdikis, um, I think I said that right, or Brisdikis? Yeah, I think I did. Um, with Iggy and Matthews, they have more than one player. With Indiana, yeah, I know they've got Jawan Morgan, but him and Romeo have not been on the level of those other teams. Like you look at Indiana's schedule that they've just had recently and they were 12 and 2 just coming off of a win against Illinois where Illinois almost beat them. It was 73 to 65. 
Michigan, I'll give you a pass because Michigan was undefeated at the time and they were really good. But then you lose to Maryland, you lose to Nebraska, and then you lose to Purdue. And that Purdue game was so bad for Romeo Langford that there is video on YouTube that I have seen that he went 22 minutes, shot 2 of 10 from the field, 0 of 3 from beyond the arc, went 0 of 4 from the foul line. There, That means there's no one in your face. And you went 0 of 4, couldn't even hit two of them, like Zion might have been able to. And he only scored four points in that game. The student section in that one was calling him overrated. And I think the biggest reason of why I personally am so low on Romeo Langford is a word that you used with Cam Reddish. Inconsistent. This is a guy that I don't think will be a 20-point scorer for the um, Tennessee, or not Tennessee, for Indiana, because I was pulling up Tennessee. Their two guys aren't scoring over 20. The only team in the top five that has people averaging more than 20 points, the Bulldogs from Gonzaga, Rui Hachimura, is averaging 20 a game, and the Duke Blue Devils, RJ and Zion, both averaging more than 20 points per game. I don't think Romeo will ever get there. And the thing with Romeo is, one, the inconsistency where against Illinois has a good game, 28 points, where he went to the line and 11 of 15 from the line. That's really good if you can get to the line and get that many points. Then against Michigan, it's like, okay, 17, you're kind of down to your normal. You went to the line, you hit all your six. Then 28 against Maryland, that's a really good game. But then 18 against Nebraska, and then you fall four against Purdue. That's number one, inconsistency. Number two, I think the big reason of why when I look draft-wise for Romeo Langford, it's the three ball. The NBA is all about the three, and he's 0 of 3, 0 of 4, 3 of 6, 1 of 2, 1 of 4, 1 of 3, 0 of 3, 0 of 3, 0 of 3. It's not he, a strong suit. He can't hit the three. So it's for not me, a strong suit. For me as an NBA team, that's why I would say, hey, if I'm going to pick a guy in after the top five, if I have a choice between Keldon Johnson, who balled out this weekend on Saturday night, if I have to pick Keldon Johnson or Kevin Porter Jr. or DeAndre Hunter or Rui Hachimura or Romeo Langford, I'm going to pick those other guys right now over you because you're inconsistent. And the one thing offensively that we need from you, you can't do it. You can't hit the three ball right now. I think that that's that's a really great point to bring up because so many scores are going to be able to do well mm-hmm. inside the three-point line. The long jumper, the short jumper, around the basket, in the paint, all of that, drive to the hoop, yes, they can score there. But it's what can you do? What makes you a better player outside of that? Are you a good defender? Are you a good three-point shooter? And for Romeo Langford, are you a good defender? No, not mm-hmm. really. Are you a good three-point shooter? Well, not really. I, I think that those th- there's there's got to be something else outside of the normal what you would expect from a player on another team, mm-hmm. from a scorer on another team, from a guy who's averaging 20 points uh, close to 20 points per game 18 
he's not he's not doing it. You know, he's got five rebounds mm-hmm. per game. He's got two assists per game. There's not, outside of the scoring, there's nothing extra. There's nothing extra that makes a team get really excited about you, an NBA team get really excited about you because, oh, we get this guy. We we are not shooting the three really well right now. We need someone who can do that. This guy can do it. No, you you don't have that. Oh, well, we need we we need a, a defender on this team. We we need to get somebody to 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 really pump up the defense. That's not him either. So what you've said, it makes a lot of sense. He's not there. His inconsistency from beyond the arc is so obvious, mm-hmm. and it's hurt him. It has hurt him from the point that we both had him at four and five, respectively, you and I, mm-hmm. to where he is to, to where he is right now, and I think that where we would probably also place him right now. Yeah, and I think another thing, too, that kind of... Because, like, I'm looking right now, and the guys that I would compare him to in this range is the first one's Jarrett Culver. And, yes, there's some of the numbers, like, if I had to compare the two, I look at the points are almost the same, but Jarrett Culver has a better three-point shot, and he's going to get me more rebounds than what you have. Then you have Kevin Porter Jr. His situation's a little bit difficult because we don't know exactly why he's suspended and definitely what was said, what wasn't, um, what personal conduct issues um, did he have, but he's a guy that I think has, I look at what he shows, and yes, it was only seven games, but I see more potential in Kevin Porter Jr. and what he can bring, mainly because in those seven games, he was shooting better from beyond the arc. He was at 34%, where Romeo Langford right now is at a 22.7%. And the big thing, like, that wouldn't bother me if you were only jacking up like one attempt, two attempts a game. He's attempting three to four on average. Like 3.7 is where he sits. Kevin Porter Jr. around the same 3.3 and hits him at a better clip. Keldon Johnson hits it at a better clip. And I really like what I see um, from his game, especially defensively at some points as well, stealing the ball. And he can get to the line and averages five um, free throws a game. And then there's DeAndre Hunter. I've already talked about him in the Duke segment where he defensively is a lot better than Romeo Langford. Um, yes, he shoots a lower clip from three, only two a game, but he hits 43, 42, 43% of them. And his defense is off the charts where you look at what Virginia was able to do against Duke there is DeAndre DeAndre Hunter, and he's a big reason for that. So with Romeo Langford, the thing that I think about is, and I know on this side, this is more of an NBA side, and I know um, this is where my thinking goes. I almost feel like he's going to be one I look back at and go, man, he would have been better like if he was an NBA prospect like five, six years ago. Like when the Celtics had KG and Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen and right like before the three pointer became a do or die for NBA teams. I feel like we're gonna look at Romeo Langford and go, man, if he was in a different era, he'd be a lot better than it is because he hits it from mid range, can't hit it from three, and even inconsistencies at the line. Like I said, usually he's a seventy one percent free throw shooter. He went all four from the line against Purdue, and he didn't even get to the line 
that offense. So, like, for me, Romeo, the thing I would need going forward from him to solidify some draft stock is to be more consistent in his play, but I don't even know if he's going to do that because they're 0-4 in their last four against Big our Big Ten opponents. They got Northwestern coming up on the road. That'll be after this goes up on YouTube. Um, they've got Michigan again, Michigan State, Iowa. The Big Ten is tough, and that's the conference he's playing in. And I feel like the that I'll throw that question on to you. Is that going to hurt him? The conference that he's in, is that going to hurt his draft stock to where maybe the Big Ten wasn't the right conference for you? Um, well, it could. I mean, it could, but I think it's. I think it's going to be more of. But that's a bad question to ask. Like, why should why should you have to ask that about a prospect? That's what I just thought in my head. <laughs> but but it's but it's true. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's 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 very true. I, I, again, I, if now now let me just bring bring it back here mm-hmm. a little bit, and I just want to see your thoughts. Let's say Romeo Langford's on Duke. Mm-hmm. Cam Reddish is on uh Indiana. Indiana. Is there a, is, is 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 are we saying are we putting Romeo Langford's name of in in lights with the other two RJ Barrett and and Zion Williamson and going That's very well, interesting. Cam Reddish, he's good, but he's not like those other three mm-hmm. over at Duke. I honestly think if that was the case it might help both of them. I think that if Rome, if that's the case and Romeo was where Cam Reddish is, his deficiencies would be had or hidden a lot better than they are right now. Um, the only thing I wonder with that is RJ is not really like his strength is not three point shooting. How would that mesh together, Romeo and uh? RJ playing together, but I feel like we would almost give Romeo a pass if he was on a better team. And I want, and that brings it back to what you were saying. How much of this is team success? You're the leader of this team. The team's not doing well. It is put on you. The thing with Cam Reddish that's interesting is that's a seesaw. Would we see Cam step up like he and see the Cam Reddish that we see in his high school tape? Or would we see a Cam Reddish like we're seeing now, where it's like he's good, but he's not at that point we'd be saying, Oh, he's good, but he's not top five good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't know. Cam Reddish supporters will say, Yeah, we'd see the Cam Reddish that we saw in high school, but we'd never know the answer to that question. And for Romeo, I just with me, it all comes down to the three point shot. And could he develop one? Yes. Does he need to develop one? Yes. I just, for me, if, I, if I'm if i an NBA team, if I look at it of where I'm at, and I know that this is not the fast break, but I'm kind of just going to break it down right now. Um, after the top four, Zion, Ja, RJ, Cam, this is my thought process of the last mock draft. The Hawks, yeah, we could take them. We could. Like, we've got Trey Jones. we got Kevin Herter, who... We're good three-point shooters in college last year. Can shoot from three this year. Um, but I really like that Jared Culver guy and his three and D potential at the next level. Adds, has defense, has three-point range. 
Then with the Wizards, we got John Wall, we got Bradley Beal, we got enough. Like I know John Wall and Beal can kind of hit from three, but we got enough guys at the two and the three. Let me get a guy that can maybe play, or the one and the two. Let me get a guy that can maybe play the three. Kevin Porter Jr. kind of as a potential pick. Then the Pelicans, I just was like, they need somebody that can hit from the outside. They need somebody. And then the T-Wolves like defense, Magic, I really like Rui Hachimura, so that played into it. Romeo Langford is definitely going to be an interesting one um, because, like you had mentioned before, we both had him in the top five. And this was not beginning of the year before they played some games. This was after they played a few games. It's like, wow, you know, you really like what you see from Romeo. I mean, 19 against Chicago State. Um, We knew up front he never had a three-point shot, but at that point— it was, can he develop one? And since that point, what, his best game was Maryland, where he went three of six. Besides that, two of five. Other than that, one of four, one of five, one of three, one of four, one of two, and a bunch of offers. So for me, that is the biggest crux in his game, the three-point shot, and why I would pass on him compared to other players if I was somebody in the NBA making those decisions. He's shooting draft. He's shooting 22%, 22.7% from 3. That's not getting it done for anybody. Mm-hmm. That is not exciting for anyone. So it's going to be big when scouts are going in and looking at him and watching him play. They're doing it now, but they're going to want to see, especially a scout from the same team that showed up at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. and one that showed up at the end of the season. They want to be able to see that he is improved. I don't know if they're going to see that. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I look to is, and Dave and I mentioned this, I can't remember if it was on the big board or not, but we kind of mentioned it a little bit with Romeo. And I feel like because someone's going to bring it up. There is, you say 22% from three, and that kind of jars me because, like, in the NBA, there are players that shoot that poorly from three. His name right now, the one that I'm thinking of, is on the San Antonio Spurs, used to be a Toronto Rocket, DeMar DeRozan, where you can be a name in the league, a all-star type of name, and have that percentage from three, But I also look at it, and right now, wow, I look at it. And, like, career-wise for DeMar DeRozan, it's 28% from three. Do you want to take a guess at how much lower his three has gotten this year? And it just blows my mind. What would you say if one of your star players, any basketball team, college or pro, was shooting 17.5% from beyond the arc? 17.5. 17.5. Now, I know DeMar DeRozan only jacks up. like, And that's the thing. He only jacks up one attempt from three a game. Well, Romeo's not doing that. Romeo, And that's the double-edged sword of how do you practice? You got to take threes in the game. But how much of that also needs to be done in the gym before after practice um, on your own game? And that's why I also wonder, the point I made earlier, of how many guys are we going to look at or how are we going to look at Romeo where I said we might look back and say, Oh, he'd be, he'd be different because like, I look at the draft class that DeMar DeRozan was in Blake Griffin developing a three right now. Um, You look at James Harden, like 
is very inconsistent from three. But these are guys that are superstar caliber. DeMar DeRozan never did that. And then just a little guy at number seven um, that everyone doesn't know, uh, Steph Curry. Um, I don't think anyone has heard his name before and his three-point shot. But I just, with Romeo, it's going to be interesting. How far does he fall? I don't think he'll fall out of the lottery. He'll be a top a top 15 pick. But to me, it's going to be interesting of before the beginning of the year, we had him top five. Now I feel like as the season goes on, we're going to kind of be like, is he top 10 or not? Is he in the top 10, out of the top 10? And we'll see what that's like going forward. Do you have any final thoughts that you think we haven't brought up with Romeo Linkford? No. I just noticed you're wearing... Uh, you're wearing very USC colors today. Um, little Kevin Porter Jr. Kevin Porter Jr. would really like um, your shirt today because it's got that nice um, Trojan red and yellow um, with it. It just popped into my head as I saw the red and yellow on your shirt. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. What do you think about Romeo Langford? Um, if you're a Romeo supporter, here's, here's the true question I want. If... You're a Romeo supporter. First off, why? Second off, give me something. Like, I want to have a conversation with you guys because I am obviously, I'm not a hater, but I'm on the other side with Romeo where I'm lower than him. If you're lower on him, again, tell me why, and let's have a conversation down below in that comment section because I think this is an interesting one. You either love him, you hate him, you're high, you're low. There's no one really in the middle on Romeo Langford. Um, also, at the end of the podcast, make sure to check out patreon.com backslash Podcast. want to thank Matt again for joining us um, on this edition. It was a great topic, a great conversation that we had with him. Also, make sure to check out mostvalvepodcast.com where you can catch MVP each and every day. And then last but not least, go and rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It really means the world to us. I believe we're at a 4.5 average rating right now. Kind of want to bump that up as close to 5 as we can get. I want to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. I know you're looking at our logo right now, but I didn't want to turn on the camera as we're just doing the outro here at the end. So thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening on podcast services around the world. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.